It's chaos. It's a different type of Sunday scary. It's your newest obsession. It's Dirty Driving, a Formula One podcast. We're the Hornsby sisters. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. It is finally over. The chaos, insanity, and uncertainty of 2021 is complete. We have all the feels, excitement, relief, sadness, maybe a little depression creeping in. Megan and I are completely unsure if we will ever feel a sense of closure after this race, but really this whole entire season. 2021 ended in controversy with a Max Verstappen last lap overtake on Lewis Hamilton to secure the win in Abu Dhabi for his first World Drivers Championship. In his 10th victory for the season and his 20th of his career, Verstappen earned a hat trick for this race-winning pole position and fastest lap. It is only the third time that he has ever done that in his entire career. This is his 18th podium of the year, setting the record for the most podium finishes of a year, all of them being first or second place finishes. This record was previously held by Michael Schumacher in 2002 at 17 podiums. And Verstappen's victory is one for the record books. He is the first Dutch driver to win a World Drivers' Championship. Honda's first championship win since 1991 with Arrington Senna, so it seems like a fitting end to Honda's Formula One engine program. And Verstappen is the first non-Mercedes world champion in the hybrid era. For the first time since 2008, the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships were split between two teams when Lewis Hamilton won his first championship and Ferrari took home the Constructors' Cup. This is Mercedes' eighth consecutive championship. Lewis Hamilton led 51 out of the 58 laps and ultimately finished second place after that last lap overtake by Max Verstappen with the controversial restart following a yellow flag. In third place, we had Carlos Sainz completing his fourth podium of the year and extending his points scoring record to 15 consecutive races. He would end the year in fifth in the constructors just above Norris and his teammate Charles Leclerc. Fifth place is his highest points finish ever. So big congratulations to Carlos Sainz and all of his numerous fans. It was a truly remarkable weekend and one that won't be forgotten for a while. Let's get into the breakdown starting with Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. All right, let's get into TFS. Going into this weekend, we had so many questions with so many proposed endings that could have been. Thursday and Friday and Saturday were filled with moments of closure and kind of prepared us for what to expect on Sunday at this new variation of this track. This weekend, we saw the last race of Kimi Raikkonen, who is retiring, and we probably won't see him ever again. He's had 349 race starts, one driver's title, 21 race wins, and a gajillion awkward press conference moments. We also saw the end of Antonio Giovinazzi's current period in Formula One. Who knows? We may have him back one day. He is moving to Formula E after three years with Alfa Romeo. We also saw George Russell's last race with Williams. After three seasons, he is set to move to Mercedes next year. He finished with one podium, his second at Spa this year, and a total of 16 points for the year to end his Williams career. We also saw Valtteri Bottas' last race with Mercedes. After six years of partnerships and 101 Mercedes starts, 100 of these with Lewis, remember there was one with George Russell, the partnership and relationship between the two of them as co-drivers ends. Valtteri's time at Mercedes comes to an end after helping them win six Constructors' Championships and a 100% record of Q3 appearances. And finally, we saw Honda's last race as an engine supplier. So congratulations to them on the win as well. This season has been a whirlwind and coming to a close with people leaving and people switching teams is always difficult. Again, I think I have been focused on next year for a couple weeks now. 
So I'm really just excited to see how these cars and how these drivers perform with the playing field even more leveled. We had a brand new track layout this year with modifications shortening the track to 5.28 kilometers. There were three major areas of change. In turn seven, we saw the removal of the chicane before the hairpin. In turns 11 through 14, we saw the removal of the 90 degree turns to one long banking turn. And in turns 17 through 20, we saw the widening of the corners to create a more flowing sector. The drivers said that they enjoyed the track and the whole point behind it was to make this track a little bit more competitive, to make it a little bit more interesting. We are going to be racing here for the next 10 years as the grand finale to the next 10 years of racing. And so with these track modifications, they really wanted to create an opportunity for more overtakes and again, just total overall enjoyment at a higher level. Friday's practice was split on who went fastest. Max took fastest in practice one, while Lewis took the fastest time of the day in practice two. So it flipped back and forth a couple times during practice. Usually after practice is when I place my bets on the weekend, and I unfortunately did not place any bets this weekend, or maybe fortunately for my pockets, because I truly had no idea what was going to happen going into this race. Which brings us to qualifying on Saturday afternoon. Verstappen took pole in a shock. Verstappen showed excellent pace with his fastest lap over three tenths faster than Hamilton, which again was so surprising because Hamilton was the most consistent and the fastest in practice when you looked at all three sessions together. Lando Norris ended up third fastest. He was just eighth tenths off Verstappen and out qualified Perez in fourth, Sainz in fifth, Botas in sixth, and Leclerc in seventh. Going into the race, we had Verstappen and Hamilton on the front row. And pole was very important here. As in the last six years, the pole sitter has won the race. So if we look back on history, that's why it's so important to you know, be the pole sitter here. And we saw that ring true again for the seventh year in a row. Lando Norris ended third fastest, just eighth tenths off Verstappen and out qualifying Perez, Sainz, Botas, and Leclerc. For Lando, this was key for the fight between McLaren and Ferrari. And in addition, it was also very important for Norris's fight for fifth place in the Drivers' Championship. Now that we've got all the details, let's get into the Sunday Scaries. And the Sunday Scaries were all too real this weekend, this Sunday. It was, Sunday was a hard day. I deep cleaned my apartment just to cleanse everything that happened on Sunday morning. And now that we're sitting here recording bright and early Monday morning, Megan and I are still trying to digest and understand what happened. So let's just jump right into it. On Sunday morning, bright and early, about 4.30 our time, we had an announcement that Nikita Mazepin was out of the race due to a positive COVID test. So he did not race, and it was too late for a backup driver or a reserve driver to come in. So an unproblematic end to a dismal season for Mr. Nikita Mazepin. With the official race start, it actually started out surprisingly relatively calm. Hamilton had the dream start and pulled away with a tenth of a second better go. Lando went off track and lost a place to Sergio Perez, and we got all the way to turn six until we saw our first situation between Max and Lewis. So Max was coming on the inside of the turn and nudged Lewis into the runoff area. Lewis came back on track ahead of Max. The steward said no action was needed as Lewis did not have the lasting advantage after the lap, so we didn't really need to do anything. Lewis didn't need to give the position back. It wasn't proven that by going off track, he was able to get ahead by that much. And this was super questionable considering all of the incidents that we've seen this year. Specifically, we saw two recently, one in Brazil and one in Saudi, where drivers have gone off track and gained positions. Again, this usually results in the driver giving the spot back as the rules dictate that you can't overtake someone off track. I think this one was pretty simple. Again, Lewis did not have a huge advantage and simply retook the place that Max bumped him for. So 
I do stand by the FIA on this decision that no further action was needed. The race continued with Max pitting around lap 13, going from soft tires to hards. He reemerged back on track, and he actually caught Charles Leclerc off guard. And Leclerc struggled the rest of the race, ending in P10. Max's pit triggered Hamilton to do the same. He also emerged on the hard tires. Perez gained the lead at that point, and just a few laps later, Hamilton was in DRS range of Checo. And Checo being Checo put up some great defense. Eventually, Lewis retook the lead, but that battle was able to hold up the Merc long enough for Max to make up five seconds gaining his advantage to be within three seconds of Lewis. Verstappen dubbed Checo a legend, while Lewis focused on building that gap again. Lando Norris struggled with losing gears and fell back in the grid, ultimately ending up in P7. A little later on in the race, after some calmer laps, we saw both the Alfa Romeos retire. The brakes went off for Kimi in lap 27, and we saw a run-in with a wall, leading him to retire the car, ending his last Formula One race in the pit lane. Shortly after Kimi, we saw George also struggling with his gears. He would go on to retire. All while this was going on, Hamilton continued to chug ahead, creating a 17-second gap between him and Max. Our last retirement of the three went to poor Antonio Giovinazzi, who missed out on the crossing of the finish line of hopefully not his last F1 race. I would really like to see Antonio back one day. It was honestly pretty pitiful that both of the Alfa Romeos had to retire. I am hoping to see more of them next year with Valtteri and Guan Yu. Antonio parked in a poor spot, which resulted in a virtual safety car. This benefited Max as he was able to pit for new tires and gain seconds in the battle between him and Lewis. The Merc did not want to lose out on Lewis's position, so they did not pit. There was an issue with traffic. The midfield, basically from Alonso to Leclerc, costed Hamilton a lot of time and also then triggered Max to struggle to get through the midfield, lapping people as well. Near the end, in lap 53, with just five laps left, Nicholas Latifi crashed into turn 14, the same turn Kimi crashed into during practice. The FIA immediately safety card the race to clear the track, and this run-in caused the whole race to shift at this point. Max hit the pits and threw on some softs. Again, Mercedes chose not to pit so they wouldn't lose track position, and with just four laps remaining, we had to unlap the cars and get back into the correct position, Hamilton, Verstappen, Perez, Sainz, and Botas, before that yellow safety flag could end. Checo got word from Red Bull that the car needed to be retired, so Sergio Perez was the fifth and final DNF of the race. On lap 56, the FIA decided that lapped cars will not be allowed to overtake. The next lap, in lap 57, the FIA then decided that lapped cars Norris, Alonzo, Ocon, and Vettel were to overtake the safety car, which would then lead to the safety car ending. Max was right up next to Lewis at the end of the safety car, but Hamilton sped away quick. Unfortunately, Max was right behind him, and Max lunged early in the last lap, got around Hamilton in turn five, and snatched the championship. We heard Toto on the radio, no, Michael, no, this isn't right, just as we saw Lewis to attempt to gain the position back, but could not. Max crossed the finish line, giving the sport their first Dutch winner and giving Max his first world championship title. It was a wild race to the end of a wild season, which we're going to talk about more in our rundown. All right, Megan, let's start talking about the race. And the first question I want to ask you is about some of the drama that went on after the race and some of the calls that the FIA made. So I think let's just discuss that and let people know what went on if they didn't watch the race. Okay, so basically we have a continuation of the FIA being consistently inconsistent and just annoying the shit out of every one of us in the last couple of laps i think katie you already kind of briefed what happened in the last lap but essentially kind of the the issues post race and especially the issues that a lot of the viewers me the fans have brought up 
is due to the dumpster fire of a last four laps that we had that started with Nicholas Latifi and Matt Mick Schumacher battling it out, Latifi going into the barriers and the race being yellow flagged. So there's a lot of controversy. We know we have some Mercedes protests going on, but kind of the way I see it and view it is after quite a lot of research after the race, including some very quickly in the last two laps of the race, there seems to have been a couple of years ago a general agreement that the race director and the teams want the race to end in a green flag, which I think we would both agree with, right? I would agree with that. Yeah, even this race when we were sitting there and we were waiting, I was like, please just give us at least one lap. I would have hated to end the season on a yellow flag. Hated to win it on a yellow flag, but but this gets deeper. So... Yes, we always want races to end in a green flag because we want it to be like actually racing to the finish line. But that doesn't mean that the literal rules that the FAA has written can get thrown out the window. So let's kind of dive into what happened and versus what the rules said. Essentially what happened is during the yellow flag, we know that there were eight cars that were in their wrong order due to the lapping situation that we've all talked about. Per the FIA rules, they basically say that while it is not required for cars to unlap themselves, they should be allowed to unlap themselves. So there were eight cars in their wrong positions. We know that Michael Massey allowed the five cars between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen to unlap themselves. Per the rules, they're supposed to pass the safety car and then another lap is supposed to occur. The safety car will go into the pits and then racing will resume. Due to this situation and how many laps it took to get things clean, as well as how long it took Michael Massey to fucking figure out his job. His job is literally to read 99 pages of regulations and follow them. And he can't. I argue that he should be fired, but I've thought that for weeks. So... The rules say that they must have one more lap after the field is released. They're not. That's not what happens. We know that they unlap themselves. And what felt like seconds later, they were like, and look, you know, it's ending green flag. Let's go. The reason why they're supposed to have that extra lap is for safety. Like the field should be clear for the race leaders to take off and not have to worry about interfering with them in three turns. It's supposed to continue to actually be a motor race, which is what um, Michael Massey was talking about. So to me, there's kind of like three problems that happened at the end of the race. There's the fact that not all cars were unlapped. The extra lap didn't happen. And on top of that, the FIA's communication was horrible, like always. Because if you go back and listen to it, I mean, we were all confused when it was happening. I, I, we were, I was watching with two of my friends and it was insane. Like we didn't know what was going on. There was no clear communication. All we knew, all we know and is what we heard on the radio. We hear Michael Massey talking to Christian Horner and Toto Wolf, both of which are trying to convince him to do something differently. Christian Horner's like, just give us one more race lap, one more lap. Like, ah. And Toto Wolf's like, this isn't right. This is not right. Right. No, Michael, no. Because he knows the rules. Like, this is a direct violation of the rules. The shit communication is really the biggest issue. They say that there's no unlapped cars are going to be allowed to move through the field, which would have made sense if they wanted one green lap that was safe and fair. Really, what would have been most fair is if we had red flagged it, both of them would have an option to pit, and then we would have had a standing start for one lap. That would have been the fairest. Then we know that Christian complained, and then ultimately the FIA, immediately after Christian's complaint, was like, we'll let the five lapped cars between Max and Lewis go through and restart the race. So we have that issue. Then post-race, we we find out that Mercedes has lodged a protest against the FIA for two reasons. First, it was that Max technically, if you watch the video, Not technically. Max is up next to Lewis. They're vying for position to go. Per the rules, that's not allowed. They're supposed to stay in line, and at no point should Max be alongside Lewis or in front of Lewis. He was both of those things, which is a direct violation of the FIA. 
So he should have received something for that. Um, the reason that is is safety, which is always what Max and Red Bull are like, safety first. Um, so there's that, which is very, like, I, I'm sorry. I paused because I didn't want to know if I wanted to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm going down this rabbit hole. What the fuck was Verstappen doing? Like, he clearly knows the rules. Like, why on the second to last race is Max fucking with the rules when he knows that that's not the rule and he knows that he's on faster tires and is going to beat him anyway like why even put yourself in a position where you could be penalized which is why I was like the FIA should penalize him yeah and even sitting there watching like my heart's pounding my palms are sweaty I have no idea what's about these to happen these weak arms are heavy what oh I said these weak, weak arms are sweaty <laughs> anyway I'm sitting. Wait, mom's spaghetti? Something about that. <laughs> anyway, I'm sitting there with my two friends as well, and I'm watching this, and I'm honestly flabbergasted that I'm watching Max do this. It, it was stupid. It, it was silly. And if two fans can know that that's in the wrong, then the driver can know that that's in the wrong. Absolutely. And this, again, I don't know if I want to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm going to freaking say it. He should be penalized for this shit. I get that we didn't, I, I get that Christian didn't want this decided in front of the stewards, but then don't let your driver be a fucking twat. Like, that was stupid. He was on fast, he was on softer tires. He was going to get the jump off the line. Could you have at least just played by the rules? Could you have at least had the courtesy and the patience to wait, oh, I don't know, t 10 more seconds? No, he doesn't. He's a petulant child. Okay, so... The second protest that Mercedes filed is that the FIA violated their own rules by not following the safety car rules. We now know that the FIA has found the FIA innocent, which I think is hilarious that they find themselves innocent. They, they found themselves innocent that basically they said that the race director has the discretion. You can... There's a if you want to read it, I highly recommend it. I, I think what Red Bull did is they looked in a dictionary for the definition of words and was like, all does not mean any does not mean all. This means this discretion. Da, da, da. It was like these definitions. And I was like, Bleh. and then, of course, the race director presents his own evidence to the stewards that where Michael Massey defends his own actions and says the perfect the purpose was to remove the lapped cars that would interfere in the racing between the leaders. So Michael Massey in it himself in a in an attempt to prevent an interference with the leaders interfered with the race to allow the leaders he Michael Massey took a situation and said how can I dirty this up as much as possible and make it, and allow myself to interfere as much as possible and said let's just throw the rule book out let's just throw it out throw it out so yes, both of those protests were filed by Mercedes. Obviously, Mercedes has filed an intention to appeal. From my understanding, they have 48 hours. So by the time this episode comes out, we might have some more information. But that's kind of where we stand now. And realistically, my issue is not with Max or Red Bull winning. It's that this is no longer about Max and Lewis winning. To me, this is the FIA intentionally orchestrated drama and now it's the the dignity the integrity of the rule book versus the sport none of us knew what was gonna i mean we all knew what should have happened based on the rules we all sh knew that this should have ended in a yellow flag technically or we should have had one turn without a yellow flag for the fia to take their own rule book and throw it out feels really shitty and it feels very unfortunate when we're going into another year in like 96 days. And, and we should have clear rules and clear knowledge of what's happening. And I think you're completely right, Megan. And this is why I wanted you to talk about it, because you speak about the FIA and their mistakes so gracefully. At the end of the day, you're making me not want to watch. That's what the FIA is making. Like We, we shouldn't be we shouldn't have the FIA interfering. Someone tweeted that Michael Massey's name is in the news way too much. His predecessors were never in the news this much, and that to me is the problem. His name should not be well known. To me, I don't want to know their name. No. I want to know that the FIA is there to ensure that the race is held safely and that the rules are followed. And I think this year the FIA got way too much in their heads and way too much head up their ass about 
trying to get involved and trying to make a spectacle of this sport when at the end of the day, everyone wants them to just have the ability to go racing and they should just have the ability to go racing. Yes, and they should do that following the rules that they themselves wrote. You wrote these rules. These rules were not given to you by an authority. These were written by the FIA for the FIA. And agreed on by all of the teams. I know we're going to circle back to this, and I know we have more questions on this, but it just makes yesterday feel so horrible. And that's not, and I, I want to make it clear, that's not because I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. That's because I'm a fan of the sport. That ending felt really awful to a title fight that we deserved more. And I think that leads us into one of your questions about the track. Yes, yes. Well, first, before we get the track, I think I'm going to circle back to, do you think Max deserved to win? Because I think yeah, I've expressed I can that, talk about that he deserved to win just not in this way. Yes. And I think that was something that Megan and I talked about on Sunday after the race. We kind of spoke and then we took a break and then we spoke and then we needed to take another break because we were really just trying to process it all because I personally was feeling these mix of emotions of I'm pissed at the FIA and I'm pissed at the sport itself and I'm upset for Lewis Hamilton because he has worked incredibly hard this year just as max has worked this year but at the end of the day i truly believe that max was the more consistent driver this year and he deserved to win and like megan said it was hard to see it end in this case where he didn't necessarily deserve to win this race but he deserved to win the championship itself which again i want to say that doesn't negate that lewis also deserved to be right there running for the championship as well but to me and I, I spoke about these stats a little earlier. He sc- Max scored a total of 395 and a half points. He took 10 pole positions. He had six of the fastest laps. He won the first sprint race, and he led 651 laps compared to Lewis leading about 250, if I'm recalling that number correctly. He was the most consistent driver of the year, finishing in first or second place in every race except for Hungary and the places that he DNF'd. He had 10 first place positions and eight second place positions. I truly believe that Max leveled up this year. We saw it in his driving. We saw it in his racing. We see it in even in his post-race press conferences. I think he has brought a Megan's making a face in comparison to his previous years. It is much different. And I personally don't want to hold the fact that he is a more ruthless driver against him. Everyone has their own driver style. That's how I see it. I agree that you should be following the rules and you know better. And at the end, it got a little wishy-washy with that. But I truly believe that Max deserved to take this win and I'm excited for him. I'm not quite excited about how it ended. I mean, he deserved the title. But he did not deserve to win this race, which would have decided the title. I mean, he was 11 seconds down from Lewis before the yellow flag. And he had no pace in those tires. So I get it. He won. I'm supportive of it. He deserved to win statistically. All of those stats are completely true. He just didn't deserve it, this win. And it's very unfortunate how it came down. And again, I think that's why I have such mixed feelings about this. And I'm... I never would have thought I'd be saying this at the end of the season because I've enjoyed the season more than I have enjoyed any other season. And I've loved having the ability to talk about it. But my God, am I ready for a break from the FIA? I'm yeah, it's just <laughs> it's time. we all need a break. I, Every- <laughs> it's time. The season needs to end. All the drivers were like, this needs to end. Daniel Ricardo's like, I'm tired. I'm done. This is not fun right now. Yeah, it's not. It also doesn't help that the end of the season has just been torturous. We had that triple header. Then we went the triple header that ended in the Mideast and then stayed in the Mideast. It was just long, yeah. long, 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 long. Much glad it's over. 
Um, so let's talk about this track, Katie. Do we even care that this track was updated? It didn't feel like any of the updates made this race particularly exciting. It was kind of like the FIA made this race exciting. I know a lot of the drivers liked it. I personally did not like the track. It seemed better to drive from what they've said. It seemed like a more fun track to drive from what the driver said, but... I don't think it did much for this race. This is the finale. We're set to be here for 10 more years. The things that were changed made it into a very Mercedes track. And to me, I think what really got me was they they changed turns 11 through 14. They removed some turns, but we saw multiple drivers run into the turns 13, 14. And to me, that's an issue. And... I think that might need to be looked at for the following years. I just didn't think that the track changes. I mean, I thought the track changes going into it were going to be really helpful, but actually watching the race, it was relatively it was relatively uneventful. I mean, we did have yeah. we had the two, we had the three retirements, we had the Latifi crash, we had a yellow a yellow flag, but I mean, to me that's not wit what makes the track exciting to watch. There weren't as many amazing overtakes. The battle between Checo and Lewis was the was the epitome of the race. Highlight. That was Highlight that was the, the best race. part of the race. Hands down and honestly I think that clash, that wheel to wheel battle was what made the race not a total dumpster fire because there was that wheel to wheel action that I think all of the race track changes were supposed to give us more times. I don't know. I'll be interested to see how it turns out next year with the new cars because this could be, they could have been thinking about the track for the future as well. It's kind of how I have framed these track changes. No idea. I honestly, other than reading about the track changes, I didn't really follow the track changes like in progress. I know that Kroon Shandok was involved, which they were roasting his ass about. Um, on the commentator, which made me laugh hysterically because I think he's probably one of the weaker commentators. But it was that was honestly the highlight of some of the commentating was roasting about the track <laughs> and how that like the paint was on the tire, like yeah. the paint wasn't it even was dry. Good. I was like, "What oh, is the paint this? on the tires? Like, was what is good. happening?" Yeah, we had the ballard like, get flown off because of Mick Schumacher, and I was just like, "Wow, this track's fun." There's paint on the tires. <laughs> I'm going to bring you into my second question, which you brought him up. So I want to talk about him a little bit more. But let's talk about Checo. Will he go down as one of the best teammates? And do we see him falling into more of a Valtteri Botas role, even more so than he already has? So we've only seen one season between the two of them. So I, I'm not going to say that they're going to go down as the best teammates ever. I mean, we've seen one season. We've seen Checo really, really help Max this season. I would argue that after this race, Max Verstappen owes Sergio Perez a lot of tequila, maybe all of the tequila in the world, considering there is no way that it would have gone the way it did if Checo hadn't had that amazing defense for Max. I mean, it was very clear that those two laps that allowed Max to catch up catch up by six seconds. No, he was at six seconds. And by the end of the battle, Max was only 1.5 seconds behind Lewis. So that was that was 1000 Perez, 1000% Checo holding him up, even with Checo on slower tires. We saw it go back and forth for two laps before Lewis finally got around him. Max would go on the radio and say Checo is a legend. I think we all know that Checo is a legend. I think it is very clear that Sergio is in that second driver role. To me, it feels a little bit more obvious than the Lewis and Valtteri situation where they were more teammates. I think Checo's directive from Christian Horner is you will be the second. Like you are not here for yourself. You are here to help Red Bull and to help Max Verstappen. All cool. But I, it kind of reminds me of at least the the concept of their partnership reminds me of Schumacher and Baccarello. Like he was Rubens was very clearly the second driver. It was Schumacher's world and Rubens was just living in it. And I feel like that's how it is at Red Bull. It's Verstappen's world. Perez is just living living in it. And honestly, if he's happy with that, I say 
honestly, it's kind of the greatest thing. It's like being a backup quarterback. Like, hey, I can just be here. I can do what I love. I'm going to make a shit ton of money. I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to race fast cars. I'm going to get to be on the podium. I'm going to drink the champagne. But never is the pressure going to be directly on you. And if that's what Checo wants, like, here for it. I stand by this partnership. But no, I think we'll have to see in the future. And I, I do think it is different than Valtteri at least in terms of the overt messaging. Mercedes was a little bit more like, no, they're they're teammates. And Red Bull's... Yeah, Mercedes is a little bit more low-key about it. And Red Bull is clearly like, Checo, you're supposed to help Max. So I, it's just different. It's very different, but no, I could see it going down as a great partnership. We'll have to see what happens next year. I mean, plot twist, how crazy would it be if next year Checo's... Check was the first driver at Red Bull. We never know. We really, do, we really know nothing about next season. Like I, now that this season is over and it's done, I've been focusing all of my attention on next season, and I've been thinking about it. And we have no idea what's going to happen. Absolutely no idea. But before we get to next season, I think we have to discuss one more skitchiation that happened this weekend. So. Realistically, in a world where the race went differently, we didn't have the Latifi crash at the end, would the talking point of post-race media be the turn six incident on lap one? Would that have been the moment that defined the championship? Or would it have been something else? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, because it was a quite boring race, for a finale and for this finale of the title fight. I think that if the Latifi crash didn't happen, we would definitely be talking more about the turn six incident since it was really, they only, the only other time they touched was right there at the end where Lewis was trying to get back around Max. So to me, I spoke about the turn six incident earlier as well. I think I agree with the FIA on this. I think it was a bump. I don't think, First, I don't think Lewis gained that much advantage by retaking the position off track. Again, it's a little controversial because of the rules and because of, you know, what has gone on in previous races. But I think it would have had to have been the talking point. There's nothing else from this race. And, you know, maybe if the Latifi thing didn't happen, could we have seen Verstappen take out Lewis? I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine this race going differently now that we've spent so much time talking about the last six laps of the race what kind of a statistic that I saw that just completely I can't even find the words for it now shocked me is that Max and Lewis have raced the distance between London and New York and it was decided by the last three miles which is kind of incredible the way this season went down but you you're right if all of the shit with Latifi didn't happen the conversation would have been that turn six and that defining the race. I think the only other talking point would have been the teammate chip between Checo and Verstappen and how that changed the race. But ultimately, this race was like kind of dumb and boring. <laughs> yeah, I I struggle with this race. And again, I've, I've said this now a couple of times, but I just don't know where to place my emotions. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm and I'm glad that soon I don't I won't need to figure out where to place those emotions. They'll just be and that will be the end of the 2021 season in my brain. Yeah, I just it needs to we need to move forward. This what happened in the race and after the race just uh, destroys my like soul. Yesterday it felt like I was in a in a dark dungeon and I was just like struggling to find joy yesterday. It was totally the hello darkness, my old friend. Yes, it was like, hello darkness, my yes. old friend. You're just going to sit here and exist and deal with all these feelings. And I don't know if it was a little bit of like, oh, this is, it's just over. And what am I going to do for three months? But it was a little bit more like, oh, this is how this all ended. This was it. This is the best you had for us. Heartbreaking. <laughs> I think I'm going through a heartbreak, honestly. It's definitely a breakup. It's definitely a breakup. Okay, let's end things on a little bit of a happier note. I started talking about it a little earlier, but what are you looking forward to most next season? 
not having to talk about the 2021 season. I actually <laughs> am genuinely terrified for what the hell they're going to have in Drive to Survive. Like, I'm sorry. Do we all need to reopen this gaping bullet wound that we all took to our souls this season? I mean, there were some highs. The highs of the season were great. The lows of the season were disgustingly dark. But now you're going to make me just, like, heal for a couple of months and then just, like, rip it open again? Like, I don't even know if I can watch it. We will be watching it. Obviously, I'm going to watch it. Um, Yeah. I think, truthfully, I'm just ready for this year to be over with. And I'm genuinely very hopeful for what the car is going to bring next year. I'm so excited for February, which never in my life did I think the words I'm so excited for (laughs) February is going to come out of my mouth. Um, But I think, you know, testing will be interesting. It'll be cool to see what the cars are going to look like. The best, one of the best parts about this weekend, and I laughed about it and no one else thought it was funny, I'm aware, is Pirelli's advertising that next year I turn 18 (laughs) on the tires. Every time I saw it, I chuckled and I just thought that was such a clever marketing. I don't know. Shout out to Pirelli. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. Um, (laughs) But I'm just genuinely excited for a new year, a new car. I'm excited for the innovation. I mean, Ferrari has shown us a little taste of it with their new engine and their advancements this year. I'm excited to see what Mercedes and Red Bull are going to put out. I'm really excited to see what this post-Honda engine that Red Bull is going to be running is going to look like. Um, I think we, I personally, after hearing some of the McLaren stuff, I'm pretty convinced anecdotally or like, you know, pretty convinced in my own reading between the lines that the the reason their car has kind of fallen off this year is that they just aren't innovating on it. Um, I'm excited to see what Daniel Ricciardo is going to do next year. In his post-race interview, he was talking about, you know, in the last half of the season, he completely picked apart his racing style and actually figured out why he was fast, which is kind of crazy that he's been in the sport this long and no one else, no one at one time was like, we need to actually teach you why you are fast. It's it's actually not your feeling. There are things behind it than just how the car feels. Um, I'm excited to see what AlphaTauri is going to do. I think Pierre Gasly is going to be amazing. I'm excited about my new ranking system I've invented because what did I do on Friday night to soothe my pain? I spent eight hours creating a power ranking. So there are a lot of things to be exciting about, but the biggest thing is that 2021 is just like over. Close the book. Yeah, I would agree. I have been actually looking forward to 2022 since probably Mexico, I think. I have been talking with a lot of my friends about it, about the car changes, about the tire changes, about the everything changes, about the budget cuts. There's so much happening next year. We're entering a new era of vehicles. I had a conversation with a friend the other day about how are the cars going to be able to set themselves apart? Like, what's the deal with customization? And I, you know, explain that at the end of the day, it's just a new formula car, and then they're going to start building customizations off of that. But the coolest thing that we're going to see next year is next year, the cars are going to be the most level they ever will be in this new era. And so we truly don't know what these teams and what these drivers are going to be able to perform is Ferrari going to come back and have a great year or is it going to be back in the shitter for them? Is Haas going to finally pull through and show us what they have? Same with Williams. I would love to see Haas and Williams actually in the battle, secure some points, battling each other. I would love to see Alex Albon and Mick Schumacher go head to head in a couple races. I'm excited that Valtteri is still in the sport. We've got the new partnership as well. There's a lot to happen, and I truly believe that we could see McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes in a battle for those first four spots in the Constructors' Cup. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm aware that I don't think we're going to see like a massive shakeup in the driver standings next year. I'm not drivers, constructor standings next year. I think it's going to take one or two years. I think we're still going to see like Mercedes and Red Bull at the top, but I think. I think, fingers crossed, that we're at least going to see Ferrari and McLaren trying to, like, they're, we won't have that 20-second gap between Max and Lewis blazing off into the sunset and everybody else. I want it to be, I, I want there to be someone else in there. Like, there needs to be a third person in there creating that additional layer of complexity. Because right now it is Max and Lewis racing and everybody else racing. 
And I feel like what I think I'm most disappointed in while the title fight was incredible and I'm so honored that we got to be a part of it, it took away from the rest of the grid and seeing what they had to offer this year in total. And I think it's just left me disappointed and bummed on the fact that I feel like we missed out on a lot of other great moments this year because we were so focused on Lewis and Max. So I would love to see a third person in that mix. I also just, I will say what I appreciated about this year is that there was a ton of different people on the podium. There was a ton of people getting opportunities. We saw a McLaren one too. We just saw Carlos on it. We saw an Esteban Ocon win, an Esteban Ocon podium. We saw a Fernando Alonso podium. We saw a lot of different drivers finding success this year. And so I'm hoping that next year that is even more. I'm hoping that the default isn't going to be Verstappen Hamilton one, two, or on the podium in some permutation. Like, I would love podiums where neither of them are there. One of them is there. I, I'm also okay. I'm like nodding my head furiously like, yes, Megan. Yes, I, I want going. podiums where it's not guaranteed that one of them, that it is not guaranteed that there is going to be either multiple Red Bulls or multiple Mercedes on it. Like, I want more Jeopardy. And I think and I'm hoping that the new car is going to provide that to us. Before we get to that, let's get through our winners and losers. So let's just wrap up 2021 real quick in a little bow and just be done. All right. So I'll get us going. My winner, AlphaTari. They came out of the blue yesterday. Sonoda and Gasly finished fourth and fifth, respectively. Gasly finished the season with a whopping 110 points. So very eager to see him next year. And then our rookie of the year ended in 14th place with 32 total points. So great pairing between the two of them. Again, can't wait to see them next year. My loser of the race are the fans. I think it's the end of the season. We're all feeling a little empty. And I can't imagine I'm alone Dark. with those thoughts. So. No, you're not alone. At least it's just the two of us in this. If it's, I mean, hey, I was on Twitter a lot yesterday. It feels like everybody's in a dark place. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all in a very dark place. So we're the losers this week. Yes, we are. Okay, so my winner is Carlos Sainz. I mean, how can he not be? It was a surprise podium from him. <laughs> Honestly, the highlight of the weekend could be his post-race interview when he was like, yeah, I didn't think this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but then we were just in the right place at the right time. So I'm like, wow, love that for him. It was a great way for him to end the year. He continues having gajillions of points and not seeing a win, though. So my hope for 2022 is that there's a Carlos Sainz win. That would bring me immense joy. But this weekend, we saw a third place podium for him. Great points for himself and Ferrari. He secured the fifth place in the constructors, which means he finished above Lando Norris and his teammate Charles Leclerc, which I would say proves that I do think that Cheka not which proves that I do think that Carlos Sainz is the better of the two drivers. In terms of consistency, I mean, hot take, dirty take, I don't know. Dirty take. Hot take, dirty take, one of the two. We'll have to see next year. We'll have to see next year. I think he is amazing, and we don't talk about him enough. I mean, he's also just, like, an amazing human, too. I'll I'll add that in there. And then my loser, which it just has to be, in what is arguably – Take out everything else. What is arguably the hardest pill to swallow about this entire race was the double DNFs from Alfa Romeo. Double DNFs in the last race for Antonio and Kimi. It was just, uh, it felt horrible. I, I yelled at the TV. I was like, no, Kimi, no. Like, this can't be the way it goes out. And in his post-race interviews, he's like, that's how it happened. Like, he's done. I don't think we'll ever see that man again. <laughs> Bye, Kimmy. Um, but, yeah, so winner is has to hands down be Carlos Sainz, and the loser, of course, has to be Alfa Romeo. And if you haven't guessed already, our honorable mention of the race is Sergio Perez. And I have to discuss this with Megan, but Checo might honestly be in the running for one of our honorable mentions of the year. We will let you guys know what we decide in our 2021 season recap part two which will come out on friday all in all checo really proved his contention in red bull seat this weekend actively racing lewis hamilton and having the defense to hold him up 
He finished the season in fourth place with a total of 190 points. And our hidden gem of the week, our nugget of good in the F1 world is, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go immediately look it up. But Kimi Raikkonen and his family with Antonio Giovinazzi went dune buggying. I think it was Thursday they went or Wednesday. The time change confused me. Um, to celebrate, you know, both of their times coming to an end in Formula One. I'm very hopeful that Antonio is going to maybe at some point pop back up, little Esteban Ocon style, take a year off and then show up. Antonio Giovinazzi debuted in Formula One in 2017 for Sauber. He has entered in 62 Grand Prix, winning 21 points and secured a best ever place finish at fifth place. He was the 2015 F3 runner up and again finished in F2 as a runner up to Pierre Gasly in 2016. He will be leaving Alfa Romeo, sad face, and heading to Formula E to race with the American based Penske racing team. Kimi Raikkonen is unfortunately retiring, if you haven't already heard. (laughs) He (laughs) debuted in F1 in 2001 and since then has raced in 352 Grand Prix. He has secured 103 podiums, taking first 21 times and winning the championship for Ferrari in 2007. We will not forget his Kimi-esque moments, like finishing the race from his jacuzzi on his yacht after retiring in Monaco, or enjoying an ice cream while the Malaysia GP was red flagged, but still live. And we can't forget his many radio messages, like his most famous, leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. Kimmy, you will be missed. Up next is the off season. It's been a long and tiring season, which we didn't even race in. But here we go. It's the end. We're heading into a break. At the time of recording, Mercedes has filed an intention to appeal. We may already have an answer by the time this episode comes out. So we'll be keeping an eye on what happens there and keep you guys updated via social media. Until then, we know some of the drivers will be headed back to the factory for a little bit of work before the holiday break. George Russell said that he will be off to Mercedes when he returns to the UK. Up next, all the way in February, is the first round of testing in Barcelona, which is tentatively scheduled for the 23rd to the 25th of February. Until then, we cannot say thank you enough to everyone who has listened subscribed and followed us the support has been amazing and we appreciate it more than we could ever express we'll be taking a break but stay tuned for some off-season announcements and keep an eye out on the new episode this friday which will be the 2021 recap 2.0 until then as always stay dirty Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pot on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stay dirty.